Back in 2020, a report was released that Connecticut has some of the most restrictive voting laws in the country, making it particularly hard for Black and Latino voters to make it to the polls and use their voice. Many people agreed that Connecticut needed to expand voting, and in 2023 legislative session, our state did just that with early voting. But questions remain about its implementation and its cost. We are joined today by the Secretary of State, Stephanie Thomas, to talk of early voting and more. The Municipal Voice is the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities podcast. In collaboration with WNHH LP 103.5 FM, I'm your host, Matt Ford. As always, be sure to give us a like and let us know what you're thinking in the comments. CCM's Municipal Voice podcast continues to present a key forum on important state local issues. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the consensus views of CCM or member municipal leaders. Secretary Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. <laughs> Good to have you. Um, so it's been almost 100 episodes and three and a half years on the Municipal Voice since we last had the Secretary of State on the show, which at that time was still uh, Denise Merrill, mm-hmm. uh, your predecessor. Um, and that was in a previous election cycle. So we were talking about voting access. It was important then, still important now. Why is voting so important? Oh my gosh. Um, how much time do you have, Matt? <laughs> question. Why is voting important? I mean, it really is the underpinning of our democratic process, our system of government. Um, we have a representative democracy. So we as electors get to vote who will represent us um, at the table, so to speak. So having access to the vote and making sure that everyone who does has have access is using that vote, I think, um, with Without that, our democracy is floundering. Yeah. And speaking of making sure everyone's using that right, um, you know, our members of CCM are municipal leaders of the towns and cities across the state. And this next election is going to be a municipal election. Um, And generally, these elections get a turnout under 35%. Yeah. What is the connection between the, you know, the popularity and quest for greater access and the fact that we have such a low turnout year after year? You know, I think about low turnout a lot, but I think it is because we as a nation don't really invest in civic literacy when, you know, I look at what's done at the federal, the state and the local level. No one is really investing in helping uh, voters carry out this most important civic duty. Sure, there's some education, depending on what state you're in and what grade you're in. But in general, I just think it's woefully lacking. And mm-hmm. I think voters have gotten a bad rap in some ways, like they don't care. Um, so they're not showing up in uh, municipal election mm-hmm. years. And there may be some of that, but I also think they aren't well informed. And what a lot of registrars will tell me is if people aren't sure, that also keeps them from the polls. Mm-hmm. If they don't feel informed about what's on the ballot, Um, how the system works or what they might face when they get there. That is another way of um, preventing uh, full turnout, if you will. Um, I also believe we have highest turnout in presidential years because Mm -hmm. face it or not, whether we want to face it or not, we are a very sort of television based Mm -hmm. culture. 
and the airwaves are flooded for sometimes as long as a year <laughs> um, with ads reminding people that an election is coming. And even when there is a gubernatorial election, for mm -hmm. example, you saw that last year here mm -hmm. in Connecticut. But for municipal elections, no one can afford to go up on television. So yeah. I talk to people all the time who have no idea that there's a primary coming up in September. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they know there's an election, but they don't really have it started on their calendar. Yeah. Um, so I think we as government can do a lot more to help um imbue voters with the confidence uh, to mm -hmm. want to know when elections are and what they can expect. Um, so that as a government, you can do that stuff. And then is there some stuff more specifically that your office can do to help uh, drive those numbers up? Sure. Um, our office is trying to partner with as many organizations as possible who are as interested as we are in providing nonpartisan information to help voters understand how to engage with our democracy. Um, one program that we started, we call it our CEO program, and it mm -hmm. stands for Civically Engaged Organizations. Um, and um, I'm a business owner, as you know, we also deal with business services here. Um, and it occurred to me that all the businesses I know um, involved with their community, whether it's donating um, to Little League or doing an Earth Day cleanup. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if they also got involved with civics, letting their customers or clients or employees know um, when an election is coming up, how to register to vote, how to find your polling place. Um, and I have had at least one municipality reach out to me about joining the program as mm -hmm. well. And I think that would be a great way to partner with CCM's members, mm. um, you know, because if it, I feel if you keep it top of mind, it's more mm. likely to happen. So our office puts together nonpartisan tools, like simple social media slides, uh, fact sheets, like right now, mm -hmm. the big thing we're working on is a college 101, because yeah. college students don't know what to do. So it would be great if municipalities joined uh, our CEO program and help get help us get the word out. Very cool. Well, uh, some of them might be listening right now. So maybe maybe they will. <laughs> I think it's uh, important you mentioned that it's nonpartisan. And that that's good to remember is that, you know, it's yeah. not about which side of the issue on that everybody should vote every, you know, it's good for everybody. You're not just trying Absolutely. to encourage one side or the other. Every, everybody vote your conscience. Um, so you spoke at this year's Representation Matters, which is a uh, CCM program where we do a two-day training with the campaign school at Yale that was aimed to help uh, people of color seek office, serve mm -hmm. boards and commissions. Um, and you spoke about your path to elected office and how unlikely it seemed you know, at every turn. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I always tell people, don't do it the way I did it. Um, but um, the way we did it, you know, on paper, it shouldn't have worked. Um, but it was very organic. And what I do say is that people should follow their passions. Um, mm -hmm. I had a long career in the nonprofit sector. I was very happy doing that work. I was running my own fundraising consulting firm mm -hmm. um, and doing quite well. And it wasn't until um, I started meeting some people locally, going to meetings mm -hmm. and finding out how things worked. And I, I think 
I never considered myself someone who would run for office or get mm -hmm. involved in what I call politics, although now I would say it's getting involved in governance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it just I thought I was doing the public good in the nonprofit space, but I saw a need. I saw that there weren't a lot of people um, who were like me. And mm -hmm. some people think I mean as a woman or as a woman of color. And I do mean those things. But I also mean as a nonprofit professional, mm -hmm. you know, I would sit at a table and hear people discuss a problem. And I would say like, hey, the nonprofit solved this problem, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago, you didn't know that yeah. this was the best way to handle it. And people didn't know sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so I ran for office. Um, I petitioned my way onto the ballot um, because I had passed the convention dates mm -hmm. and I ran um, what I like to describe as a very organic um, last minute um, campaign. Uh, I really got started uh, very late summer and I lost that election mm -hmm. but only by a few hundred votes, which I considered a win. And then I decided to run again for different reasons. Um, and I won. And then I decided to run for secretary because it was a job that mm -hmm. really appealed to me. Um, it was not the sort of, I don't know, luster of serving at the constitutional level. Mm -hmm. But two of my passions are civic engagement, civic education, and making sure people vote in every single election. Yep. Um, but I also love business because I'm a small business owner and I worked for a small business um, for 20 years prior mm -hmm. to that, opening my own. So uh, I felt like the secretary's office involved both things that I love. So I yeah. applied for the job and here I am. And here you are. So it sounds like, you know, in your, your previous nonprofit work and then in, in what you're doing now that, as you mentioned, civic engagement is a, a large part of that. What is your vision for civic engagement? Oh, you know, I, I think at its core, my vision is to encourage people to think differently. I would love to get to a point where there was federal and state investment in civic education and civic engagement. Mm -hmm. um, I tell, when I speak with groups, I often talk about, um, especially high schoolers, for example, I say to them, like, do you play a sport? And almost mm -hmm. all of them <laughs> raise their hand. And I say, what if you played that sport one day a year? How good would you be? And they're like, oh, we would suck. Yeah. <laughs> And I think the same is true with our representative democracy. You can't just vote and like poof, like magic, everything suddenly works out. If you don't have, if you don't add the engagement piece, we're only sort of half living. Um, so even people who vote, don't think that they need to communicate to their representatives. I'm sure every town manager would love to know what their constituents think mm -hmm. and um, have issues brought up to them so that because they can't be everywhere. And the same yeah. is true with elected officials. So I my vision is to teach people um, what I like to call civics you can use, mm -hmm. <laughs> how to engage with your community 
Um, one example, I was speaking with a group and a, like a 22 year old woman, I said like, who has had a problem in their town or their community that they want it solved? Mm -hmm. She complained about a huge pothole that was at the end of her parents' driveway and it drove her family crazy. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, well, what'd you do about it? And she was like, ah, oh, we don't do anything. I said, well, did you call the city and let them know the pothole was there? <laughs> And she's like, oh, no, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and like, that's a little hanging um, example. But people just, I think, have gotten used to um, complaining and thinking that government is not there for them. And I mm -hmm. think people who govern are like, I wish people would give me some input <laughs> and let me know <laughs> what some of the problems are. Yeah. Um, so my vision is that it's more of a two-way street and it's yeah. more community-based. Um, is, is that something that's more recent? Like were, in the past, were people more civically engaged? You know, were there civics classes? And is that something that we should kind of bring back like in high school or something like you know, civics, yeah. history, English, just another subject? Yeah, I would love to see civics reintegrated um, into education. Um, it did used to be taught. Um, anyone my age also remembers there was um, public broadcasting money to do things like Schoolhouse Rock. Mm -hmm. um, but um, when I talk to uh, seniors, um, they often talk about how, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, people 70 and over, like mm -hmm. never missed an election. I vote every time. And how come the young people don't feel yeah. the same way? But they had civics in school and many of them also lived. Yeah through wartime mm -hmm. where there was much more of a national identity and i think that has stayed with them yeah. um there was one piece of legislation i introduced this year that never made it um through the process but that is pre-registration mm -hmm. of 16 year olds because that's a time when many are um, interacting with the dmv mm -hmm. so that when they're 18 they're already in the system and can be uh confirmed and activated yeah because it shows if you um have these civic lessons and um, think about it earlier in life, you're more likely to be a voter throughout the rest of your life. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. Kind of interesting, I, you know, we always hear people talk about, you know, the kids these days, uh, you know, there's quotes going back to Greek times about that sort of stuff. But <laughs> do the numbers actually show that the younger generations aren't voting necessarily even at the same rate that that the 70 of that generation were voting when they were younger like has the voting trends followed that generation through or you know are the young people now likely to start voting more as they get to be that age yeah i mean it's an interesting question obviously i'm not an expert yeah. of every state and you know there are differences between mm -hmm. elections for some of the reasons we already talked about you know presidential elections versus yeah. special elections primary elections etc but i do think that what i hear from a lot of young people is just a lack of understanding mm -hmm because they aren't taught a lot of this. Um, one of the things I hear the most is confusion about, you know, if they're away at college, for example, mm -hmm. do they vote where they're in college? Do they vote in their hometown? Which is why we're working on a college 101 okay, um, uh, cool. little uh, fact sheet. 
And I thought there was uh, a very interesting thing. I've been doing a lot of sort of anecdotal conversations with our interns and young Mm -hmm. people wherever I meet them. And I say, like, there's a lot riding on you. We put a lot of, um, you know, we always hear the young people will save us. They will do X, Y, and Z. And I ask them if they're voting and why or why not or what they think about it. And one thing really stuck with me, so I try to think about it in um, our work here. One said, our generation is dealing um, with uh, many of us, many of them have high levels of anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was brought on by COVID or just social media, like we can debate the causes. Mm -hmm. But it's just the fact that there were like a lot of my peers feel anxious about things. So voting feels very complicated. Mm -hmm. And we, the adults, need to make it feel easier to Mm -hmm. understand how to engage. So I really took that to heart because (laughs) you should see us over here. Whenever we try to put together a social media post, we're like, oh, well, if it's this kind of election, you do this kind of thing. And if mm-hmm. you're in this town, you do that. And this is, there's all these exceptions and it can be quite complicated. Um, so we've taken it to heart to try to explain things in plain English and as simplified as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose we think we're in a, a time frame where young people used to be able to buy pretty much anything over their phone at any time. The idea of having to like go to some municipal yeah. building and, and talk to someone at a desk and have them check your ID, like the whole thing seems. Well, you'd be surprised yeah. how many young people have no idea how to address an envelope and put a stamp on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, does, I guess the question, you know, does we have to teach them how to do the, the old way or does the way we do things need to catch up to the way fi- people are doing things Probably now? a little of both, right? A little bit of both. At some point, a, they'll meet in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Connecticut did in fact pass, uh, elections related bills, uh, this year. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the early voting package that passed and what people can expect from it? Sure. Um, so a package did pass. I won't get into all the details unless mm-hmm. you want me to. Um, but in general, uh, in, it'll start in 2024 mm-hmm. with the presidential preference primary in April. Um, and then it will be adopted, obviously, for the August primary and going on to the mm-hmm. presidential election in November. Um, it's a four-day period for special elections and presidential okay. preference primaries, seven okay. days for regular primaries, and 14 days for general elections. Um, so okay. that's what people can expect. Um And right now we are at the secretary's office writing a handbook, if you will, for registrars um, with all of the details of the bill and um, how towns can apply for additional locations. The -hmm. bill only calls for one location per town, but towns can add um, additional locations if their population is 20,000 or higher. and, you know, they'll have to present their plan to us with regard to ballot security, chain of custody, and a lot of those details. But mm-hmm. we are writing um, a, a template, if you will, that towns can uh, use as a okay. foundation. 
So, and then obviously before the election, you're going to distribute that out to them. I'm sure we'll yes. see it and share it with everybody that we can just so everyone yes, knows what's absolutely. going on. Absolutely. And um, our office, it was really important to me um, once I uh, was inaugurated to make sure I did it during my campaign, but I wanted to stay in regular contact with registrars and town mm -hmm. clerks just to make sure that um, one, it's always good as a leader to listen to the people closest yep. to the work, right? Um, because they know things I couldn't possibly know. So yeah. I started having a monthly call with both groups separately. Um, and we cover a lot of ground, but it mm -hmm. really, um, what that meant was when I, when it came time for me to speak with legislators and start to write this handbook, etc. I had voices, small towns, medium yeah. towns, large towns. I had all of that already at my disposal. And once we write the handbook, um, we will have a working group of registrars look at mm -hmm. it. And then I'm going to send it to all the registrars and town yeah. clerks to look at, um, because the more input we get, the more, the better it will be for towns of all size. Yeah. Sizes. yeah. Important to get the, the input from the boots on the ground, as it were, just because, you yeah. know, most well-intentioned laws sometimes can be yes. written in a way where it ends up making complications for the people who actually have to have to do it. Um, yeah, Absolutely. So implementation of uh, early voting will have a lot of moving pieces, um, but I'm sure there's a lot to learn from the 46 other states who have already done it. Um, what are the top three things that our cities and towns can do to prepare for it? Uh, good question. Um, I definitely, uh, what most people don't know, uh, right now there's no money allocated in the budget for mm -hmm. public education. Um, so I do see that as a problem. Our office will certainly make a play um, or an ask <laughs> for mm -hmm. mid-year adjustment um, in the biennium. But um, I think towns can really help us, help them by educating their population, mm -hmm. whether it's flyers up around towns, um, information on the website, holding a town hall, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I think that will help. That's one thing. Um, I think uh, towns can also be very instrumental in reaching out to communities that might have problems accessing this information that mm -hmm. is just out there in the public domain, whether it's going to senior centers in town, um, putting flyers in other languages and child's uh, backpacks when they mm -hmm. go home from school, whatever it is to get the word out in the community. And third, um, and I think this is really important, I think town leaders should be sitting down now with their registrars and mm -hmm. their state delegation mm. to really talk through what early voting would look like in the town and think about what some of the pain points might be, if any. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage towns to do this and be specific and mm -hmm. realistic um you know sometimes people are like anything can happen like we might get five thousand people come at one moment yeah. and i'm like that's probably not going to happen if you're in union you yeah. know so um i think if people can have those specific realistic conversations and mm -hmm. have it with their delegation then that would be really really helpful to um, 
prepare both the town leaders, but also the delegation with mm -hmm. how they will answer when I request that budgetary adjustment. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the budgetary adjustment there, it, you know, you said there wasn't money included really for the education of this. Was there any money included for staffing or anything? Because I know at CCM, we're always um, concerned that, you know, something passes and there's no money for it, that it's what we call an unfunded mandate. Yeah, it's definitely an underfunded mandate okay. <laughs> at this point, I would say. So for the first year of the biennium, each town will receive $10,000, okay. $10,500 to help offset the costs. Mm -hmm. um, and that may help some towns. It won't mm -hmm. be enough to help others because every mm -hmm. town is getting the same amount. So even um, you said there's some that might, the bigger cities might need to have two low or three locations. They would exactly. still get the 10,000 Or more importantly, um, mm -hmm. many more workers. <laughs> mm. um, because, you know, a Saturday in Waterbury is going to be different than a Saturday in Canterbury. Mm. Um, so they will have some money um, the only election in this first year of the biennium is the presidential mm -hmm. preference primary. So that mm -hmm. is um, typically not very high turnout. It's a four-day mm -hmm. period. Um, so I think it's workable. Mm -hmm. What is more concerning is the lack of funding for the second year in mm -hmm. the biennium, which includes the presidential election, mm -hmm. which is typically there are some towns in Connecticut that have 90 percent turnout. Mm -hmm. um, and with early voting happening for the first time, I think towns will certainly need um, some help differing yeah. costs. Um uh, in part because I think registrars will do their due diligence to make sure they are not caught short. The mm -hmm. last thing you want is uh, Waterbury assigns two people to work on a Saturday at noon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we can imagine what the lines might look like now. Yeah. Uh, so I encourage when the towns sit down and have these conversations, um, if they know there are problems that they will experience, they should definitely be reaching mm -hmm. out again to their legislators, to the governor's office, et cetera, to just um, explain what those issues yeah. are as clearly as possible. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe that first one with the lower turnout could in some ways be helpful to test out you know, the early voting a test run, as it were, before the, the big one, Absolutely. some of the problems that you might have, especially when it then scales up. Exactly. The, the, the good news yeah. is we do have the presidential primary, but we also have the um, August primary uh, mm -hmm. to as a bit of a dry run before the main election. <laughs> so find some of those problems before uh, we go to the big, the big time there. Um, now, I know in the past that uh, your uh, office has helped provide training uh, for new staffers for this kind of stuff. Is this something that uh, you're going to be doing for this coming election? Yes. Um, the good news is there was money in the budget for our office to help every municipality with poll workers. Um, so the money in our budget is for us to put together a uniform training program, mm -hmm. uh, which will be a huge help um, to the towns um, who usually, like every town, just does it. So currently way. there isn't like one unified no, plan for how no. to do it. Okay. Exactly. 
Um, although they all the towns often get together and share mm -hmm. best practices, but we will um, be helpful. We also will be taking on a role to help with poll worker recruitment. So we okay. are looking to partner with organizations like Vet the Vote, the colleges and universities, um, even the Connecticut Bar Association, um, and other people who may be able to uh, step up and serve. And mm -hmm. I think municipalities can help as well. Um, for example, we've been going town to town doing poll worker appreciation events because oh, it's, cool. it's, yeah, it's been really, really cool. And I can't tell you how people seem to love it. Um, and there are many poll workers who have been doing this um, we award people over 10 years, over 20 mm -hmm. years. I met someone a, a few weeks ago who had been doing it 49 years. Wow. And that's amazing. So just elevating these this that type of community involvement, um, because usually what happens, registrars just ask around, poll mm -hmm. workers ask friends and family. So sometimes you see like husband, wife and their children all serving. Um, so I think if towns could put out the call, that would mm -hmm. also be helpful. Very cool. And will this training all be in person or will it be opportunity to do some of it online? It's a little early to know um, what we are, I, I won't say we, what I am thinking um, mm -hmm. at this moment, and we just started this process now, um, vetting costs to see what kind of system we mm -hmm. can afford based on the budget awarded yep. to us. Um, but ideally for me, it would be an online module with, um, you know, comprehension testing, mm -hmm. like you see in these automated systems that would be the basis of the training. And mm -hmm. that, like happens now with moderators, for example, they take mm -hmm. a course, but then they have to sit down with their local registrar and sort of get that mm -hmm. hyper local sort of um, uh, uh, reminders right before the election. Mm -hmm. And also some of that special information like, Mrs. So-and-so comes in every year and needs, I don't know, curbside voting or, um, you know, there's all this hyper-local information that you're, that the local registrars will have. So uh -huh. I'm hoping an online module um, followed up with on-site, in-person training um, right before the election. Very cool. And just one final question. Um, we always like to, you know, be positive at the end of our show. Um, overall, how do you feel about the future of elections in Connecticut? Do you think we're heading down the right path towards a more open and equitable elections? Oh, let's see. I feel good. I do think we're moving down the right path. Um, as you know, there are many states around the country where... Um, voting rights are being taken away or um, uh, it's being made more difficult to vote. Here in Connecticut, especially, I work so closely with the registrars. I know that every single person in, in the election space in Connecticut is really committed to making sure that the franchise is protected, making mm -hmm. sure that we, as American citizens, can exercise our right to vote and truly 
um, participate in this representative democracy. Um, so the more involved I get, the happier I am that, you know, everyone, you know, I think here in Connecticut, we're the land of steady habits. And mm -hmm. sometimes I wish we weren't so steady. But in this, we're also the Constitution state. And I just think we take it very seriously that people yeah. deserve the right to vote. Um, so I'm happy to be in this job at this time to help people um, have access and maybe kick it up a notch and uh, pick up some civic education as they go. <laughs> well, great. It seems like we have the right person for the job. Uh, Secretary <laughs> Stephanie Thomas, thank you so much for speaking with us today. We really appreciate it. And uh Keep working on making everyone get out there and vote. Thank you. Happy to be here. Have a good day. We'd like to thank our guest, Secretary of the State, Stephanie Thomas. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. Learn more at gatewayct.edu and housatonic.edu. The Municipal Voice is a co-production by CCM and WNHH 103.5 FM. Kevin Maloney is our executive producer. Christopher Gilson is our producer. Harry draws on the board. And I'm Matt Ford, your host. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and give us a like. And watch out for our CCM chat series on our YouTube page.